We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Transformative Principal episode 215 with Richard Kincaid. Today I'm going to talk to Richard Kincaid about the EcoRise company that helps students and teachers do sustainable education through project-based learning. And I got to tell you, this is a great conversation. First, we're going to talk about how to change everything. And then next week, we're going to talk about some of the projects that are happening and how to get kids involved in getting micro grants, which I think is a great idea. So thank you so much for listening to this. Please share it with somebody who would benefit from listening to it as well. And if you are not already subscribed, please take a moment and click the subscribe button in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you happen to be listening. Here's my interview with Richard Kincaid. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited to have Richard Kincaid, the Chief Financial Officer and the Chief Innovation Officer at EcoRise. And you can learn more about them at ecorise.org. Richard, thank you so much for being on the Transformative Principle podcast. First, welcome. And second, can you tell us a little bit about Ecorise and your company there? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having us on today. It's a, an honor to be here. Ecorise is a nonprofit that was founded about 10 years ago. We're based here in Austin, Texas. And we provide sustainability education programs that are science standards aligned uh, for grades kindergarten through 12. And as part of that curriculum, we offer a wraparound service for teachers that includes face-to-face and online professional development. 
connections to business and industry within green careers. And we also offer micro grants directly to students so that as they begin thinking about sustainability in their community, uh, they can come up with solutions and we fund those solutions so that their impact uh, can become realized. Very cool. I Boy, I just love the idea of micro grants to students. So we're going to come back around to that in just a little bit. But can you also talk a little bit about your professional background and what got you into the position that you're in now? Absolutely. I went to school. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I realized that the world had a lot of lawyers in it, and it was a really crowded space. I grew up with two educators. My mom and my dad were both teachers. And so the one thing I knew that I didn't want to be was a teacher because I saw, I saw the long hours. I saw, you know, constant nurturing of students and kids that weren't their own. Um, and I also saw parents that came from all different angles with all sorts of expectations. And that was one thing that I knew absolutely that I would never become. And lo and behold, um, I went to school. I got a degree in business. Um, I worked as a pilot recruiter and then ended up going into the education field, just like my family. And so I was a debate teacher, uh, taught in a couple of different schools in Texas um, as a debate teacher, led a, a national winning team up in North Texas, and uh, had my own kids. And Michelle, my wife, and I really kind of, as all new parents do, you kind of start looking for new opportunities. And I began thinking about administration. Uh, so I did an administrator internship up in North Texas in the Plano ISD, um, ended up moving up to West Texas and uh, leading an instructional coaching program for elementary literacy coaches, became a K-12 curriculum director and eventually moved into career and technical education as a director for a district here in Austin. And so throughout that time, it's given me uh, kind of a broad view, very much a classroom-centric view through all of it. I'm always wanting to focus on those first-year teachers or even those struggling teachers that show up to work every day, wanting to be the best they can be, but maybe not necessarily knowing the path to make that happen. And so that's really how I ended up here at EcoRise. I'm passionate about sustainability education. I want to have resources that teachers can use out of the box that makes them feel like they're the absolute best teacher that they can be. And kind of the path of doing that, empowering their students to become the best that they can be also. I've been a big advocate for project-based learning for a long time. I think that engaged students that are focusing on a challenge you know, local to their community and then being given the tools to make change happen is the foundation of really solid education. And that's what we do here at EcoRise. Um, I've been here about three years. We work with schools, as I mentioned, throughout the nation. And my role with teachers is uh, I lead our project-based learning training program. Uh, we're currently working with a number of schools throughout Texas, and all of our PBL training is focused on making teachers the best instructors that they possibly can be. And I love my job. It's amazing. 
Oh, well, that sounds awesome. So there's there's a whole bunch in there to impact to unpack, excuse me. And as you're talking about these project based learning opportunities and focusing on a, a community issue that the students are currently facing in their in their community, when you do that, then it seems like everything, you know, there's a new problem. So you got to come up with all these new solutions. And that is one of the challenges of project-based learning is that you can't really package it in a way, but it sounds like you are packaging it in a way that uh, teachers can pick it up and start doing stuff right away. Can you talk a little bit about that and how how that works, like the process teachers go through with, with your program? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you're exactly right. Uh, a lot of times, you know, people, you know, face project-based learning as uh, something they've heard about. Maybe they've read the buzzwords on the internet. Uh, maybe they've seen other organizations or been to other trainings. And by and large, it's been my general experience that sometimes PBL programs are, don't feel very accessible. Um, so in concept, when you're in training, it sounds good. Like we like to become facilitators. Um, we really want our students to be engaged. But when we get into our classroom and we see our standards and we see the daily life of the classroom, sometimes it doesn't really feel that accessible anymore. And so as educators, having gone through other PBL programs, that's really where we began the design process for our own program. Um, we believe that strong face-to-face -face training and support for teachers is necessary. So our teachers begin a three-day process where the overall outcome of those three days is for them to design an actual standards-based project that they're going to go and deliver in their classrooms. And while the project is important, it's really the process, right? So getting them really comfortable with walking kids through an inquiry process that you know, perhaps both teacher and student don't necessarily feel comfortable with. It's not traditionally how they do school. And so we provide a deeply embedded support model. We know that there are some teachers that this is going to become, you know, and, and they're going to be naturals. And there are others that really need a lot of help along the way. And so we provide that for them. We also provide a context through sustainability, through science, through local challenges in their community to really make these projects feel real because they are. And so students may be talking about energy and they may start, you know, assess, they may begin assessing maybe the electrical usage on their campus. Maybe it's the water cycle. And instead of reading about the water cycle in a book, um, they're going out and they're seeing like, what kind of grass do we have outside? What kind of, you know, watering schedule are we on? What sort of, you know, local plant life, you know, exists? Like what happens, you know, in our own community, like when water sinks into the ground, like what sort of natural filtration happens? And so you start thinking about real life and applying some of these educational standards to those processes. And so we help teachers through that process really thinking about the standards that they have and how it can make a difference on their local campus or in their communities to really engage students in some of these problem-solving type events. And so that's generally the process that our teachers would go through. What we find is, you know, maybe we'll have a really strong project, you know, a, a single strong project, 
the first year. We work with teachers over a minimum of a three-year period. And so at the end of that three-year period, what we find is teachers really embed that process into everything that they do. It feels more natural. And so year two, year three, we really kind of provide that expansive growth, um, get them connected up with uh, additional networks of teachers. Um, and it's been a really successful model for us. And I think it's one that teachers find uh, to be really accessible. Yeah, I like that. I've got a few questions about that. But before I get to those, I, I do just want to say that a couple of my teachers here have been working on sustainable projects in our in our school. And it's been really neat to see, you know, they just did a project where they tested the the groundwater uh, in rivers here in the area in Fairbanks. And it was really neat to see the results they got and the kids to like know where they got the water from and to see, you know, they were measuring fecal matter and how much fecal matter was in the water. And it was just cool to see them engaged in something like that, that was very local, very real and very powerful for them to, to be engaged in that. And then the other thing that I want to say quickly was in a previous district, I was on the energy committee for the district. And we were talking about a 30,000 student district and how much water we were going through to water all the lawns and how much our heating expenses were and how much our air conditioning expenses were. And it was just mind boggling to see how much money we were putting towards those things. And we really worked hard to come up with ways to save money on those things by adjusting the temperatures in classrooms and especially temperatures when kids were not in the classroom. So like the classroom can handle being, you know, 75 degrees when nobody's there. But if it's 75 degrees, that's uncomfortable for kids when they're in the building. And so we had to, you know, play around with those kinds of things. So, you know, just being able to engage in those kind of discussions, I think is really powerful for kids to see what kind of an impact they can make. So one of my questions for you in this model where you provide this great support is how do you coach teachers who are not naturals or project-based learning? And what are some of the things you say to help them break out of their traditional model and move towards a more project-based learning approach? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we definitely run into those teachers that you know, have their lesson plans laminated from, you know, 1979. And, you know, that's what they're comfortable with. They know what the year is going to look like this coming year because it's what the year looked like last year and the year before that. And then kind of switching into the role of a facilitator is it's a paradigm shift. It's something that teachers aren't taught when we go to teacher school, right? We replicate the way that we, we learned in our classrooms. Yeah. And, and, and that can be, you know, deeply ingrained um, in a classroom. And it feels comfortable for students. And in those sorts of environments, you know, students don't necessarily have those critical thinking skills either. They want the answer. They want to be directed to the single right answer. And, and so there's, there's oftentimes a lot of granite that you have to break, right, in order to truly and effectively implement you know, kind of these PBL processes. And I'll tell you, it takes time. My experience has been that you start with teachers that are eager, 
to have this happen. And so if we moved into a campus, we wouldn't necessarily recommend a campus-wide implementation where everybody starts at the very same time and, you know, implement over the course of a year. Instead, you know, it's been my experience that you start with a smaller group. What's the low-hanging fruit? What are the teachers that are going to grab this? It's going to be okay, you know, if it doesn't go particularly the way it needs to go because they'll be adaptable. The reason why that's important is some of these teachers that are resistant, they're not resistant because they don't think it's effective. They're resistant a lot of times because they're not entirely sure it's going to work. And if they're able to see some of their peers doing this effectively, along that same line, if they're able to see administrators that are working with their peers and the administrators are almost giving this permission to fail, pick yourself back up, readjust and move forward, that becomes a little bit more palatable for some of those teachers that are resistant. If there is a working model that your campus can see, that some of those teachers can sink their teeth into, and maybe, you know, the resistance becomes, you know, a little bit, you know, less, then it's been my experience, that's one of the best ways to go. I've had the experience of, of implementing PPL in, in two different fashions. The first was um, a new tech network school that was opened up in Odessa, Texas, uh, where, you know, on day one, every teacher on the campus was starting in the very same place. It was PBL from day one, you know, push forward. The other implementation was with the Buck Institute um, in a district here in Austin where it was a model that was rolled out over the course of time, uh, where those low-hanging fruit teachers came on board at the very beginning, and then were able to bring along the other teachers on the campus in a very precise you know, rollout. Um, and I'll tell you, both of those went exceptionally well. The reason for that is the new tech where everybody started on day one, we were able to hire that staff and, and make sure that that staff on day one was going to match kind of the profile that we were looking for. If you were to do that in a traditional school where you did the training over the summer and you expected everybody to you know, press forward, I think you would run into a lot of issues um, simply because of those types of teachers that you um, have asked about. They need a model. They need to show that this could work for them. They need to know that the support is there, uh, both from the training entity, but also, and I think probably more importantly, from the administrators, so that they feel comfortable moving forward with this in their classroom. I think that's key. Yeah, you know, I Richard, I think that the real power there is recognizing who your staff is, just like you need to recognize who your students in your classroom are, and seeing what they are capable of and interested in and all that. Now, if you're starting a school that has, you know, this is the goal and this is how we're going to do it, then that becomes a lot easier to say, this is the kind of person we're looking for, and that's that's who we're going to attract. Most principals, however, are not in that position where they're starting a brand new school. And you really need to take that approach of who can, who's ready and who's willing and who's able to start and start there and expand from there. And, you know, that's what in in my district right now, we are 
have very heavily focused on personalized learning and this project-based learning fits in with that very well, I think. And one of the things that we've learned is that you really do have to start with that group of people that is interested and motivated and engaged because if you don't and you force it on people, then they don't have the skills, they don't have the desire, and then they're pushing back and you've got to have that gentle approach, that invitation, come join us instead of the, you must do this. And, you know, even with that approach, it can still be challenging and you've got to have a lot of patience and, you know, three years, I think that's a pretty good idea of how long it would take to, to get things moving in a way that you'd feel good about things. Exactly right. And, you know, I kind of want to underscore the key there is, you know, administrator support. When you're talking about, you know, flipping instruction on its head and doing, you know, kind of this PBL process in the classroom, the administrators need to be on board with it too. Ultimately, they're the ones who are evaluating teachers. And so one of the things that we do at EcoRise is before we even step foot in day one of a teacher training, we've already met with district leadership um, and we do a full day training with everybody from the superintendent all the way down to the coordinators of the content areas. So basically central office staff, we meet with them, we talk about how this works with scope and sequences, we talk about how this works with standards and the importance of embedding those standards into uh, the PBL process. From there, we meet with all campus administrators. And so we recommend two from each campus the principal, and then the administrator who is responsible for um, academics on their campus, right? And so usually that's a, you know, associate um, principal. And so getting all of them in the room, talking through the expectations, are deliverable at the end of that day for campus leadership as a strategic action plan, where they actually sculpt out what year one looks like for PBL implementation on their campus. Um, and then they begin thinking about who those teachers are that would be really good fits for training in year one. And so we really kind of move that process forward. And so we've already worked in the district maybe six months before we even begin the first teacher training um, in a medium-sized district, right? Because that administrator support piece is critical. If it's not there, initiatives, you know, fill in the blank you know, PBL, you know, reading first, you know, literacy initiatives, you know, specific focusing, uh, you know, on data and state testing and, you know, college career readiness, you know, none of those things can be successful without administrator support. It's critical. Yeah, absolutely. And that administrator support really, you know, you mentioned it earlier, really comes down to the giving teachers permission to fail. And it's not that we want to see teachers fail. It's that we want them to know that we're not expecting perfection right out of the gate. Can you uh, expand on that just a little bit? You know, I kind of view a classroom as a laboratory. It's a place where you can test hypotheses. It's a place where you can really ask important questions. And maybe on some of those, you're not entirely sure what the answer or the outcome is going to be. But you're really modeling, I think, in a lot of ways for students, what real life is like. 
um, the ability to maybe ask a question, you know, have a wrong answer, evaluate why the answer was incorrect, and then try again. And I feel like so often adults don't give their kids permission to fail. Um, they don't give kids the opportunity to kind of revise and reflect and resubmit to make revisions until they get the answer correct. But that doesn't, it's not limited to, you know, just students in a classroom. I think a lot of times teachers don't feel like they have that freedom either um, from administrative staff. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, let's not go to work and, you know, fail every day. And, you know, well, I, I tried. You know, it really becomes a process. It's kind of that postmortem, like, all right, so this is what I did. Where am I at? What basis am I using to evaluate what happened so that I can revise and resubmit kind of that next draft um, to make my practice better? And, you know, maybe that's self-evaluation. Maybe it's asking your kids what their opinions are on certain things. Maybe it's being reflective in a PLC or some of your, you know, teammates uh, within your content area or grade level. And so this really is a cultural change in a lot of ways. Um, we model that best practice as do a number of, of other PBL, you know, training services where we teach a protocol. Some have called it critical friends. We teach a protocol of really providing precise feedback for process. It's a peer review model. And in our trainings, we model that with teachers. We encourage them and give them tools so that they can model that for their students. And then students use that model with one another to really be reflective of the work that they're doing. For me, that's probably my favorite part of the entire process is teaching people how to move forward, teaching people to have honest conversations about the quality of their work, and then move forward to make it even better. It's a culture change, and it starts from the top on a campus. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely starts from the top. And one of the things that I often say is that everything good or bad is a result of the leadership in the school that is there. So if if it's great, that's because there's a good leader. If it's awful, that's because there's a good leader. If it's anything in between, it's because of the leadership in the school. And the more I see other schools and talk to other principals, the more that rings true because that position of principal has so much power over everybody's fate that it just has to be that person who's responsible for so much. And that's a horrible burden to place on principals, but it it really is the truth. Like that is definitely how it is. That was a great interview with Richard. I hope you enjoyed that and I look forward to next week when we talk more about the different things that kids are actually doing. And really the power here is kids being in charge of their learning and their projects. I just love that idea. So look forward to chatting with you next week on Transformative Principle. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.